If you have your Bible, turn with me to John 8, beginning in verse 2. Title of the message today is Casting the First Stone. Now, early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now Moses, in the law, commands us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something on which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone against her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus really offended the religious people of his day. He didn't pal around with the hierarchy uh, in the Jewish group. Uh, He didn't uh, have brunch with them or supper with them or high tea with them or any of those things. He didn't do any of that. Uh, One might have expected him to prefer those people to buddy around with, but he didn't. In that day, the most scrupulous people were the Pharisees. They were regulars at the synagogue. Uh, They gave uh, generously. They prayed a lot. They studied the Bible a lot, uh, three or four hours every day. Yet Jesus associated with thieves and with prostitutes rather than with them. The Pharisees berated Jesus as a friend to sinners. And they chided Jesus' disciples by saying, Your master spends a lot of time with terrible people. He spends time with the very dregs of our society. You shouldn't follow him. Jesus uh, said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, it doesn't get much stronger than that. That's about as strong as it gets. Some religious people use God's law as a yardstick to measure others. That's what they use it for. Jesus wants us to use God's law as a mirror that we hold up in front of us and we examine ourselves. The Ten Commandments, religious morality, and conscience were given to us so that we might know the difference between right and wrong, 
between good and evil. By convicting us of sin, the law leads us to the gospel. And the gospel leads us to forgiveness. Many religious people preferred to use God's law to judge the public sins of others rather than the inward and private sins in their own heart. Jesus preferred the company of those whose sins were more public uh, as they could not hide their failings behind a veneer of piety. As their sin was more visible, they were more ready to seek the forgiveness that Jesus brought. The Pharisees thought that Jesus was compromising God's law just to attract a following. The Pharisees believed that they made themselves right before God by following the law. That was the thing. Follow the law. That's what they said to everybody over and over and over again. Follow the law. We will interpret the law for you and you follow the law. They made themselves right by a disciplined religious life. They thought that they, frankly, were just about perfect. They thought they had everything figured out. They had studied the uh, Bible that they had back then over and over and over again. And they thought they knew everything and they knew how to do everything. They believed a person could come to God only, only by the law. Only by following the self-disciplined life that the Pharisees would teach them. The Pharisees were angry that Jesus dared to forgive sins. And he forgave sins of people that were really bad. And the Pharise- that just drove the Pharisees crazy. They couldn't believe that he was doing that for these people that were so unworthy. The Pharisees had a trick question that they hoped would catch Jesus off guard and really put him at odds with the legal authorities and with the people that were following him. Jesus was sitting in the temple. He was teaching a large crowd of people. And these Pharisees began pushing a woman forward through the crowd. Finally, they got her up to the very front, the very middle of the room. Everybody in the courtyard could see her. It was very, very obvious. The Pharisees roughly pushed her, and they said so that everybody could hear. Now this lady, we have caught her red-handed in the act of adultery. We've caught her. There's no question but that she did it. They asked Jesus, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such people. What do you say? And they thought that by framing it up this way, they really had him. They had him in a corner. He didn't have an answer that he could give. If he were lenient and forgave her, then they proved to everyone that Jesus contradicted God's law. And they had a legal basis on which to take him to court. If Jesus upheld Moses' command to stone adulterers, then he would contradict his compassionate image and he would disillusion all of his followers. The Pharisees 
had totally misunderstood Jesus. You know, there are millions of people across America today, millions and millions of people that have totally misunderstood Jesus. He's a loving, caring person that wants to relate to you in a way in which he can lift you up and help you in every situation of life. So many people think that he is vindictive and mean and terribly judgmental. They've just missed it altogether. Jesus did not blunt the demands of the law. He did not relax any commandment. He did not wink at adultery or any other sin. Jesus said, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That isn't what I'm doing. Till heaven and earth pass away. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus did not come to change the law. He came to change the people. The purpose of the law is not to tell us how bad other people are. That's not the purpose of it. It is to tell us how we can change so that we will be able to come to Jesus for forgiveness. To the Pharisees and to all religious people, I'm talking about every one of you and myself and everybody across America and everybody around the world. Jesus gave this warning, and we all need to hear it loudly and clearly. And we need to adapt our lives to living uh, closer to the spirit of what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. The Pharisees were particularly judgmental toward this woman. They were using her just to build their case against Jesus, who uh, made them really unbelievably, unusually vindictive. They hated her because of what she was doing, what she had done. And they wanted to not only tear her down and stone her, but they wanted to tear Jesus down as well. The three greatest sins under the law were idolatry and murder and adultery. The folks in the first century had kind of come to live uh, much better with adultery uh, than they had at an earlier time. There were so many people uh, that were adulterous in that day that they switched it from capital punishment, from taking the life of the individual, uh, to just saying, well, we're going to give you a divorce. Uh, So they were in the process of changing that. The Pharisees could not have posed this question without dragging the woman into the courtyard. Is that right? No, that's not right. They could have just gotten up and and made their point. They didn't have to push her into the middle of the courtyard and utterly humiliate her in front of everybody. 
But to exact the death penalty, they had to stir up mob violence because the Roman governor would never have allowed a legal execution. The Old Testament required the witness of the crime to do the stoning. In other words, if you saw somebody doing something that was bad and you reported it, they would count on you to be a part of those that were throwing the stones. It was real simple. Their laws were plain and clear. Everybody could understand them. These Pharisees were ready to become judge and jury and executioner in order to use this woman against Jesus. Judgmental self-righteousness had worked itself into a fevered pitch. But Jesus met their violent accusations by turning the tables on them. He summoned these Pharisees to judge themselves, not this woman. Now you can imagine how that went over. That was about the worst thing that he could say. Because they thought they were perfect. They thought they followed the law exactly at every point. And they were so pious and they were on the street corners and they were so good and they gave so much money and they prayed all the time. They studied the Bible all the time. They were perfect. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger something on the ground. As they continued to ask him questions, he stood up and said to them, Let he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. The Pharisees could not accuse Jesus of contradicting the law of Moses because he did not forbid the stoning. He would have the Pharisees apply the law to themselves, however, rather than to the woman, We do not really know what Jesus wrote on the ground. There was a Greek tradition that grew that said what Jesus was writing in the sand in front of the Pharisees were their individual sins. He went to the first uh, Pharisee that was standing there and he wrote down things that they were doing right in front of them. And then he went to the next one. He wrote down the things that that guy was doing right in front of them. And he went right down the line doing that. The sins of which they knew they were guilty. Jesus knew what was in a man. And he knew the sins that were lurking in the hearts of these Pharisees. Pride, of course, was probably the biggest one. Greed, lust, envy, anger, all of those things were inside of them. Jesus was not trying to expose the Pharisees publicly. He was not trying to ruin their whole lives that day by exposing them for the sinners that they were, as they had just done to the lady that they had pushed to the center of the courtyard. He wanted them honestly to come to themselves in the privacy of their own hearts, that they might see their own sin and then repent. At first, he quietly wrote their sins in the sand, saying nothing. He didn't say anything. He just wrote it down. As they pressed him, Jesus arose and challenged those accusers 
to examine themselves. Once more, he bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground, slowly but surely, the force of what Jesus had written down came home. It struck home in their hearts. They recognized the secrets of their hearts were written on the sand right in front of them. They went away then, one by one. The oldest went first. Jesus did not come to change the law. He came to change people. He wanted people to use morality not as a yardstick to judge others, but as a mirror to examine themselves. He wanted people to look at themselves in a sober self-honesty so that they might regret their selfishness and their sin and come to him for forgiveness. Contrition and repentance must come before forgiveness. We today have to help people to say that they're a sinner and to understand that because they don't believe that. You know, across America, there are millions and millions and millions of people that don't think they're sinners at all. They think they're just doing what they can get away with. And it's perfectly all right. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And you somehow or another have to convince them, yes, there is something wrong with what you're doing. And of course, you have to do it in a way that is loving and kind, not in a judgmental way. You've got to say to them, there is a fixed point. There is a point that doesn't change. It doesn't move. It doesn't change as every generation changes. And that point is the Word of God. And in the Word of God, if it says something is wrong, it's wrong. Whether it's in the 2nd century or the 10th century or the 21st century. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. That's all there is to it. And they have to realize that it's wrong and confess their sins to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. Our fear to own up to our sins is the stumbling block, not God's willingness to forgive. God wants to forgive. He's not a mean, vengeful God. He is a loving, caring God. He wants to forgive you. He wants to call you into the fellowship of the family of God. He wants you to be a part. He wants you to learn to serve and to grow spiritually in your life. Jesus came into this world to bring the forgiveness of God to each and every one of us. He convicted people of their sin only that they might come to him for forgiveness. But these Pharisees, though convicted of their sins, they knew that they had been found out, they refused Christ's invitation. He had shown them themselves, and they left, fearing that he would show them to the world. What if Jesus had said to the first Pharisee in the line there, let's see, you've done this and this and this. And then he moved to the next guy and said, well, now you've done this and this and this. What if he had done that? They didn't want to be in that situation. So as soon as the questions and answers were over, as soon as Jesus wrote those things down, they turned and left. 
They didn't want to be humiliated like they had humiliated that woman. They left. He had shown them themselves. How many indeed are lost today because they care more to save their reputation than they do to save their soul. Jesus would have all of us examine ourselves closely as we examine our neighbors. Notice that the woman left standing alone before Jesus did not herself come to that place, that position. She was drugged there by the Pharisees. She had been humiliated. She had been used. She had not come willingly out of a sense of her own need. She did not come seeking forgiveness. So Jesus did not pronounce her forgiven. Instead, he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and do not sin. He tried to lift her up. Jesus had aimed to bring her accusers to repentance by showing them their sin. Now he aimed to bring the accused to repentance by showing her his mercy. Jesus deferred judgment to give her another chance. He showed her the mercy of God and called her to live a religious life in the hope that someday she would turn around and come to the point of forgiveness and confession of sin. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. The world is already condemned by its own sin. Jesus came to free the world of its condemnation. If it would simply receive by faith the forgiveness that the gospel offers, If we only suspend our judgments of others, we have still fallen short of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees and the woman herself, they all had been convicted of their sin, but none of them had turned for the mercy of the Savior. May we approach our Savior and ask Him for forgiveness. Then we will hear Him say to us, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One night in a church service, a young woman felt the tug of God on her heart. She felt it. It was clear. The Holy Spirit was working in her life. She responded to God's call. She walked down the aisle. She made a public profession of her faith in Christ. She accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. The young woman had a very rough past. She had been an alcoholic. She had been a drug addict. She had been a prostitute. But the change in her from that night was obvious from then on. As time went by, she became a faithful member of the church. Her life, her destiny, her heart, had been radically changed. She was really a strong follower of Jesus. She eventually became involved in the ministry of the church. She began to be a teacher of the children. It was not very long until this faithful young woman caught the eye and the heart of the pastor's son. 
the relationship grew and they began to make wedding plans. That was when the problems began. About half the church did not think that a woman with the past that she had had was suitable to marry the pastor's son. The church began to argue and fight about this. And so they decided we ought to have a meeting and kind of thrash all this out and come to some agreement about what we want to do. Well, they had a meeting. And all the people started getting up and saying what they thought and giving their arguments. And the tensions in the room increased greatly. The meeting was getting completely out of hand. The young woman became so upset about all these things that everybody was saying about her. She was seated up toward the front of the room. As she began to cry, the pastor's son couldn't stand it any longer, and he stood up to speak. He could not bear the pain that this was causing his wife to be. He began to speak, and his statement was this. My fiancé's past is not what is on trial here today. What you are questioning is the ability of the blood of Jesus to wash away sin. You today have put the blood of Jesus on trial. So does it wash away sin, or does it not? Well, the whole church began to think very quickly. They began to think. And some of them began to cry. And some of them began to change the opinion that they had when they came into the room. They realized that they had been slandering the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often, even as Christians... We bring up somebody's past, and we use it as a club to beat them over the head. We use it as a weapon against our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Forgiveness is a very uh, foundational part of the gospel of Jesus. If the blood of Jesus does not cleanse the other person completely, then guess what? We are not cleansed completely. If that's the case, then we are in all sort of trouble. What can wash away the sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus wants to forgive you today of the big sins and the little sins that are in your life. He today wants you to say, you know, I've been thinking about it, praying about it. I've never trusted in Christ, but I want to do it today. If there's anybody like that in the house, we're going to have an invitation in a moment. I'm going to stand down here at the front. You can slip to the aisle, slip down front, and take a stand for him who died for you. There are folks here today that are wonderful Christian people, godly people, that have been visiting in our church for a period of time. And perhaps you would like to come and join with our family and help us as we try and serve the Lord corporately, not just individually, but we join hands and arms and hearts and lives 
that we might serve him together. We have a much stronger witness when we do that. Well, I'm going to stand down front. If the Lord leads you, you just slip out, slip forward, and take a stand for our Lord. Let's stand as we